0: If you understand the backstory my resume, makes a little bit more sense. My grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. Um, So he was in Chicago during Prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United
1: States. Hello, everyone. It's me again. Yes, I'm live on the air with you again here. It is Beyond Clean with Ace. And you know, hey, if you've been with us for a while, you know we've been doing the podcast on the audio version. We started doing the video version here in January. It's our seventh season. I talked to hundreds of people all over the world. Ah, gosh, you know what? The best thing about this is I don't have to leave Orlando in my nice little cushy area to go and travel this time of the year because, you know, there's a lot of people I talk to that are in not such a good climate as I am today. However... If technology works and it doesn't always, let's see where I travel today and take you along for the ride. Let's see. Terry, I think you're in a colder climate than I am in Florida. I am, but I'm in Denver, Colorado, but it's 54 degrees here today, so I'm not complaining. Aha. Okay, so you didn't come on the air, folks, to listen to us talk about the weather, but it's just kind of the way to start it because, I, you know, I... I I get to do that now. I've been in all that cold weather, Terry. I know Colorado very well. So who is Terry Tucker? Why are we talking with you? And what kind of message do you have for us today? Sure, so I'll I'll
0: try to give you the Reader's Digest version of my life. Uh, Born and raised on the south side of Chicago, the oldest of three boys. You cannot tell this from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, despite having three knee surgeries uh, in high school. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. Dave, I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long (laughs) before the Internet was available Uh to help people find employment. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain, in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, Professionally, as I said, started out at Wendy's, then I moved to hospital administration, and then I made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And one of the things I did while I was in law enforcement was I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. After my law enforcement career, I started a school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball, became an author in 2020, but for the last almost 11 years now, I've been dealing with a rare form of cancer. And then I guess just finally, uh, per- personally, my wife and I've been married for almost 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's graduated the United States Air Force Academy, and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. So I spend most of my time now um, basically trying to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation back into the world as I possibly can, while at the same time dealing with my rare form of cancer.
1: Folks, I don't know about you, but there are so many things that I could ask and so many different avenues. I I mean, there's so many different likenesses about the history and things. I'm like, where do we even start, Terry? I mean... Uh, I remember my, my, my stint at Wendy's was three days and it was back in the day when there was no internet. I got to tell you that it was, I, Hey, I remember all of those days, but I was, I mean, you know, Hey, I was following you along until you went police officer and negotiation. I mean, Hey folks, I think I better just shut up and let us uh, talk and listen to Terry. Well th- there is there is a
0: backstory if you sort of uh, if you understand the backstory, my resume makes a little bit more sense. Okay. My grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. Um, so he was in Chicago during prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United States during the Great Depression, the late 20s, the early 1930s and when the gangs, you know Al Capone and all those guys were shooting up the town. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. But my dad always remembered, my dad was an infant at the time. He always remembered the stories my grandmother told about that knock on the door of Mrs. Tucker, grab your son and come with us. Your husband's been shot. And let's be honest, trauma medicine in 1933, probably not what trauma medicine is today in 2023. Right. So when I expressed an interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was absolutely not. You're going to college, you're going to major in business, you're going to get a get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids, and live happily ever after. But that's what my dad wanted me to do. And so yeah, how many wife, times
1: do we lit how many times do we really really listen to our dads, Terry? Well, <laughs> the the funny thing
0: about our family is, you know, I mentioned I was six foot eight. I have a brother who's six foot seven, who was a pitcher at the University wow. of Notre Dame, a brother who is six foot six, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six five. So I always joked that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, not a prayer's chance you were gonna see anything that was going on. But our but my dad was, you know, when I was growing up, there was only two ways to die. That was natural causes or talking back to your parents. So, you know. <laughs> you did not talk back to my parents, you know? No, just, no,
1: no, 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 <laughs> You know, and, and, and I was just thinking about that church, church pew. You wanted to make sure that you sat in front of the, front of the tuckers. You did. And my mom was, you know, my mom was five foot eight. She's like, we're sitting in the front
0: the first <laughs> pew. And I'm like, mom, everybody's going to hate us because they're not going to be able to see anything that's going on, you know? So. And she's yeah. probably said, that's their problem. I'm going to sit my sons up in the front. Exactly. That's exactly what she did. So we were not well received in the numerous parishes that we lived in, where we moved, you know, at different places. Because mom was always,
1: yeah. Folks, I got to tell you, if you if you're watching the video, I'm sorry for because Terry's got this big smile, and I'm like, you know, and and for some reason, Terry, I got to just tell you, I I can see enough of you that six foot eight doesn't surprise me at all i mean you know you just have you don't have that short little fat neck you know you got the long face sorry folks i'm trying to give you a little bit of if you're listening to the audio because yeah uh but there there's always challenges with the stature as you're saying but it sounds like all of your family used all of that those things for advantages
0: they they did and and you know i in all seriousness our parents, you know, taught us the importance of family, you know, the importance of loving each other, caring for each other, supporting each other, being with each other. And my parents used to do what I call divide and conquer parenting, where, you know, I would have a game over here on on Thursday night, and Larry would have a practice over here on the same night at the same time. And so, you know, dad's going to this, and mom's going to that. and, And it was you know, my mom practically lived at the grocery store because I mean, when you've got three boys that are, you know, consuming milk and meat and you know, everything else that it it was just, I mean, mom was the boss because she took care of all of us. You know, she would stay up late, wash our uniforms, stay up late, wash our practice gear, take us to the, you know, the bus stop in the morning, pick us up from practice. I mean, mom did everything. And I don't think we really appreciated it. You know, we were guys. Yeah. And so it was kind of like, you know, mom was sort of the odd man out. And, you know, talk about fate being uh, a great equalizer. I, I went to an all boys Catholic high school and all male military college. And then my wife and I, I remember going to the OBGYN and she was like, well, do you want to know what it is? I said, yeah. She's like, well, you should buy pink. I was like, No. No, 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 no. You need to keep it in there until it's done. I have no idea what to do with a girl. So it, talk about fate kind of uh, turning the tables on me. I, I, I love my daughter. She, she's a great human being. She got my height. She's six foot two and actually played basketball at the Air Force Academy. So well,
1: I was just about ready to ask. I'm going like, OK, so now, now, now I, 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 folks, I got to tell you what. You can probably have all the questions you want, but you're not talking with it. I am. So I'll <laughs> ask you the questions. How tall is your wife? Five foot five. There, I just knew you had a short wife
0: to go with. A-
1: well, you know and, what and they it's,
0: say? It is better to have loved a short girl than never
1: to have loved a tall. Oh my gosh. I didn't <laughs> say my
0: <laughs> jokes were <for> good.
1: <laughs> Folks, if you didn't hear that, Larry, give it to them one more time. Better to have loved a short girl than never to have loved a tall. You know what, I love podcasting because you never know what folks you're going to hear on the other end. Uh, I, You know what, I, I always search, and, and I got to tell you this, you always search for one little thing that somebody says that you can put in the front of the podcast. I think I got mine right there. There you go. That one will never be said by anybody else, Terry. I got I to gotta be sure of that. No, I think that's from the 60s, you know. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It still works, and Terry's living it. Yes, Uh, I am. Why why the career in law enforcement if everybody said not to do it? Why did you go ahead and do it then?
0: Honestly, Dave, it was was my passion. I I really felt I was supposed to do that. And, you know, when I graduated from college, I sort of had a dilemma. You know, my dad was dying and I could have said, you know what, dad, sorry, but, you know, I'm going to go blaze my own trail and get into law enforcement or out of love and respect for you, I will do what you want me to do. So, if you look at my resume, my first two jobs were in business. I sort of did what every good son did. Um, I, I waited till my father passed away and followed my dreams. And I was a 37 year old rookie police officer. And I'll tell you this much I took a whole lot more Tylenol in the police academy than those younger kids. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything about that one there, Terry. I, I'm, nope, I'm going to leave that one alone. Um, how did you, I mean, how did you pick, I mean, I, I, here I got all these questions. I'm sorry. you just no, into them. How did you pick nego- hostage negotiation out of everything in a police academy? Well, you know,
0: I started out after the academy. You know, I was, I was in a marked car, in uniform, answering radio runs and that. I did that for a while. And I'm, I'm going to give you something else to laugh at now. And after I I I did about five years of that, I became
1: an undercover narcotics investigator. Go ahead,
0: you, go ahead and laugh. Uh,
1: and when yeah. you when you said undercover, I'm going wait a minute, six foot eight. How do you go undercover? Yeah, I mean everybody does that, right? And then you said narcotics agent, and I'm like, holy cow, they're the people that that look for every little detail. Yes, I don't know if yes. I can look up there that. <laughs> We did, but I, I did, and you know, when people ask me, how could you
0: possibly have been an undercover narcotics investigator? And what I tell people is, what motivates the illicit drug industry, and it is an industry. Oh yeah. is greed. Yep. And if you have money, you will find somebody to sell you drugs. I, I'll give you a, kind of a funny sure. story. Uh, I was working the night shift, and my old partner, when I we were in uniform, she was working the day shift, and she called me and she said, Hey, I've got these. This, I was a policeman in Cincinnati, Ohio. And so she said, I've got these kids coming down from Dayton. They want to sell you mushrooms and psychedelics. They want to sell them to you so they can have more money to party in Cincinnati. I said, okay, she said, will you buy from them? I'm like, yeah, sure. I said, but what? what's the backstory? Because you know, they're going to want to, who is this guy? Right, right. So I posed, and I still laugh at this, I posed as a professor of metallurgy from the University of Cincinnati. I don't know anything about metal other than if you put it outside in the rain, it rusts. That's about my extent of, of knowledge of metal. But I I, you know, I had a briefcase and, you know, kind of some casual clothes. I met these kids in a park. They jumped out of the car, got in my car, you know, showed me the mushrooms. I gave them the money. And then instead of partying in Cincinnati, they were guests of the Hamilton County Justice Center that night as they were swarmed by my teammates in a couple. Marked cars. So
1: they, they had a bad night. Uh, they partied in the jail. They did. <laughs> oh, gosh. I can tell you, you know, hey, and, and you know, there's something about being in the cleaning industry. You, you know, you, you would think that I haven't been exposed to a whole lot of stuff. You clean buildings and everything, but I guarantee you, whenever you're in the cleaning industry, you're all in all kinds of environments. And I had my stint. My dad was a, a, a city councilman. And I I did a, a stint for a while of cleaning City Hall. And one of those things was cleaning the jail. And I had my fair share of dealing with the people that came in that you put in there. And then, uh-huh, yep, I can tell the story on that. But you didn't come here, folks, to listen to me. <laughs> We're listening to Terry. Uh, podcasting after negotiations, a basketball player, I mean... Heck, you talked to, I mean, gosh, folks, I know I'm stuttering here and stammering. I'm just like, I don't know where to go with this. Usually, if you know, I i know exactly where to go. Um, motivating people with everything you've done seemed, I would think, would be very easy now. You know, you,
0: you have to have credibility like in anything else. You, you know, I mean, you, you and I were talking before we went on air about how you know, you, you teach now, you know, that's, that's what you, you enjoy doing. That's, you know, based on all your experience and that, and for me, it's really been since my, since my cancer diagnosis, I I had, uh, I have a rare form of melanoma that um, appeared on the bottom of my foot of all places. Really? <laughs> yeah. And you know, I never remember as a kid laying out sunning myself with my, you know, feet up in the air. That was never something that that, that I ever did. Um, but I I have this incredibly rare form of melanoma that has seen my left foot amputated in 2018, my left leg amputated in 2020. So I, I lean a little bit. I, I list to port a little bit when, you know, without having the leg. All right. But... But, and, I, and I have tumors in my lungs now, which I'm still being treated for. And I know that sounds like an, a, an ugly journey. It certainly has been, but I'll tell you, you know, the things that I've learned through my cancer experience, number one, I don't think you know yourself in any way until you've been tested by some form of adversity in your life, mm-hmm. whatever that is. I mean, for me, it was an illness. It could be, you know, all kinds of different things for other people. And secondly, and I know this is going to sound kind of weird, I think cancer has made me a better human being. So Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, you you have credibility when I can stand up and say to you, you know, here's all the things I've been through and and I'm still smiling. I'm still motivated. I'm still wanting, like you, to teach, to, to here's things I've learned. I want to give them to people and hopefully make their lives a little better.
1: Terry, I understand you in a way that you and I can appreciate because two and a half years ago, I went through quadruple bypass. Mm. Yeah. Uh, You know, I've got COPD, lived with it ever since uh, my uh, early 20s. But, you know, breathing is hard. But whenever you, you know, your heart goes, uh, breathing in your heart. No, I don't have the challenges you have, but I agree with you. But when you come out of that, you know, people ask me, did that near-death experience change your life? I go, no, it clarified it. Yeah. And I, I see the way you're nodding and everything. There's a, you've been through it. You know exactly how that, and you can't explain that to somebody, can you, Terry? Well, here's here's you the try,
0: way I try to explain it.
1: Right. I'm going to try. Okay. All right. No. And that's it. That's it. We tried, but it's like it never. Yeah, it doesn't.
0: You know you wonder if you get through to people let, let me try to let me throw this out here and see what you think okay so there's a tendency i think for most of us to think that we are born empty you know and we go through life and you know when we get out of high school or college or trade school or the military or whatever we do when we get into life we spend our life consuming, filling ourselves. You know, we're born empty. Now we got to fill ourselves up. I got to get a good job. I got to live in a nice house. Got to have a nice car. I've got to have stuff. I got to get stuff, right? And the way I've come to understand my life is just the opposite, that we are born full and our job is to empty ourselves out for the betterment of ourselves, our family, our friends, our community, and this world. And I think that's what's really clarified for me based on my whole cancer journey over these last 11 years.
1: And still, because just, you know, it's kind of like my doctor said, I'll never forget his words as uh, uh, the last that I ever saw him. He said two things. You will know your body in a way you've never known it before. And for me, just like for what you're going through, He said, what brought you here will bring you back. It's just a question of when and how much and what are you going to do between now and then? Exactly. And
0: and you've chosen to teach. You've chosen to give back as opposed to take. And I think I have as well. You know, I remember when I had my leg amputated and I had these big tumors in my lungs. About eight months later, my oncologist showed me my picture of my CAT scan. And I have absolutely no medical background. I don't know, you know, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you a heart from a gallbladder, you know, on a CAT scan, but I kind of am smart enough to like, well, that doesn't look like it belongs there. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, right. yeah that big black spot there, that doesn't And so I, I had these big tumors in my lungs. I had fluid all around the pleural spaces of my lungs. And I remember looking at my oncologist and saying, how, how was I alive? And he kind of got this grin on his face and sort of shook his head. And he's like, I don't know, mm-hmm. because you shouldn't have been. Right. Which, which said to me that, you know, and, 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 I, and I'm not going to put this on anybody, but I, I have a very strong faith life, which said to me that God's not done with me yet. You know, when I die, how I die, where I die, way above my pay grade. Don't spend a lot of time worrying about it. Nope. Spend more time like you trying to help people understand the things that we have learned in our lives.
1: You know, another gentleman that I've talked to recently, he said, you know, there's going to be a day where I'm not going to be here, and there's only one thing I can really take with me, and I'm going to, share, I'm going to decide not to do that. And I was kind of puzzled at the moment, and I really didn't know where he was going, and he said, all the experiences that I've had, everything, that, all the knowledge I've got, if I don't share it, I, you know, I've taken it with me, so I'm going to share as much as I can between now and then. I think that's where people like you and I and others that I talk with, it's interesting how most people that I talk with on this podcast have a something that has happened that has changed the direction in their life and clarified their now mission. And it seems to be the underlying kind of purpose or motivation for people that do podcasting. Do you find the same? I, I do. And, and, you know, I always say that. Uh,
0: uh, uh, let me let me let me answer it this way. There, there's a there's a man by the name of Ed Mila, who's an entrepreneur, and he talks about the four types of people in the world. And I love the way he talks about it. He said the first type are the unmotivated. And he said that's the vast majority of people in life. They never right. find their purpose. They, they just kind of cruise through life. They're the unmotivated. And he said then the second group are the motivated. Kind of, kind of low level, but it works. You know, people can live a great life being motivated. And then he says the third group are the inspirational people. Inspiration coming from in spirit. You move people with your energy. And then he talks about the fourth group, which are the aspirational people, where people want to be like you. And you, I think you're absolutely right. So many people kind of go through life and never clarify that purpose, never come to understand it. And I unfortunately have seen a lot of people die when I was in law enforcement and, and certainly my years having cancer. And I, you know, the, the people, and I'm gonna make a huge generalization here, but the people who seem to, to die what you and I would call a happy death or a peaceful death Seem to be the people that found their purpose in life and lived it, versus the people who kind of go kicking and screaming. You know, they want another month or another year or another ten, whatever. Are the people who never did anything with their life? They never found their purpose in life and lived it. So I've, I've kind of learned that that it's you know it's about finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. And if you do that, death is not nearly as scary as all those people who just kind of muddle through life.
1: And as we go through life, that clarification and where we are changes because of what comes into our body, our mind, our soul, and then what we give out. If, and as you said, if we're only taking, and we're not giving out, then I think that's where you're never getting to that third or fourth level.
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely.
1: I mean, you know, and and, and I think what you're saying, though, Terry, is we're not saying there's anything wrong with any of the four. We're not saying that you should be one or the other. It's just the way that we as humans, this is where we're at. Yes. Yes,
0: exactly. I I mean, you can you can try to, you know, pick a level. Like I said, you know, motivated people live a very good life, you know? Yeah but do you, do you want more? And, and I, I think that comes from your heart, your, your soul. When, whenever I talk to especially young people, I always tell them, you know, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you should do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not gonna be the things you did they're going to be those things that you didn't do, and by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So, do things that scare you, do things that make you nervous, you know, do things that are uncomfortable because that's how we grow, that's how we get better, that's how we improve in our lives. And, and I, I try to do it every day. I try to do one thing that makes me nervous, that scares me, that makes me uncomfortable, that's potentially <laughs> embarrassing. I really do. It doesn't have to be a big thing. I'll give you an example. I hate. And I know that's a strong word. I hate going to the dentist. But I picked up the phone the other day and made my six month checkup appointment. Now I'm sure a lot of people are like, ah, no, but that's not difficult. When you hate the dentist as much as I do, that was that that was something uncomfortable.
1: I'm not gonna follow that one, folks. I'm just gonna stay right away from that one because I I I not nope, not gonna go there. Uh but I, I am gonna, Terry, I gotta I gotta think. Um I can hear somewhere in there, uh, there books involved somewhere? I did. I, I wrote a book. Um,
0: I always say I wrote the book, but I think it was inspired by something that was much bigger than me. Okay. Um, the, the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And, and the book was was really born out of two conversations I had. Um, I I was a girls high school basketball coach in Texas, as I mentioned, and one of my former players had moved to Colorado where my wife and I live uh, with her fiance and the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner, I said, I was really excited to learn that you're going to be living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have absolutely no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man reach out to me on social media and he asked me what I thought were the most important things that he should learn, not to just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And Dave, I didn't want to give him that, you know, get up early, work hard, help I, I didn't want to give them the, the cliches about- all, all
1: the things your dad gave you. All, exactly. Right? All, of those, all that list yes. that dad gave you, right? You did what we him. Totally. I wanted
0: to see if I could go deeper with him, So I spent some time and I you know, wrote these, had these notes and I had these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And then I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, I got a life story that fits underneath that principle or I know somebody whose life emulates this principle. So literally during the three to four month period where I was healing after I had my leg amputated and before I started chemo for the tumors in my lungs, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories. And they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how sustainable excellence
1: came to be. Hmm. You know, I think the thing is, as you listen to folks, uh, everybody listening to the podcast today, I want to say thank you. Uh, we've had a great run of our, our six and a half years. So keep listening, keep watching. But as I talk to people, there's always that underlying message of podcasters that really understand have just, you know, have, have been going and doing it. Uh, that we're all here to do the same thing, find a story, find something, and then share, like, subscribe. Uh, we, we all say that. And some people figured that's just us trying to get more of those. And that is true. But on the other hand, if people don't share these stories, if they don't like it and they don't subscribe and keep following, they'll never see those. And that's where the messages really start to impact. We usually don't get the full meaning of something when we hear it the first time. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, 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 I totally agree. And, you know, I, I remember reading an article a couple months ago that said, it was, it was a survey. It said, I want to say 84, 88% of Americans believe they have a book within them, believe mm-hmm. that either it's a fiction book that they want to write, or it's, it's a memoir about their life and their experience but less than 1% of those people ever write that book. And and it's kind of like you're saying, you you have a podcast to get the word out, to get the message out, to educate, to help people. And we all have a story and our story is unique to us. And by not sharing that, by, by, by taking that to the grave with you, you are depriving somebody else of the knowledge that you have and maybe helping them to become a better human being. So I, I always find it sad when people say, oh, you know, I, I'm going to write a book. And I'm like, oh, I hope you do, because I'm sure there's something unique about you that would help other people if they just heard it coming from
1: you. And I apologize ahead of this, but I'm, I'm sure you've had all of the questions. There's nothing probably I can ask that you haven't had to deal with. Don't bet on it do you do do you and, and i I guess this goes back a little serious i i I'm sorry, folks, it's just like I said, if it hits my brain, it usually comes out my mouth. You've been with me long enough, you know that, just because you have these issues, just because you have a visible disability, do you I guess it's do you get the people that that simply come up because they feel sorry for the the sympathy thing? But then when they learn and they see the power of your language and your talk and your exuberance, um, do you see that shift? Or do people, because of your height, and I got to say that because of your height, does that change it? I mean, because you're probably not in the bigger majority here. No, I I mean, you know, before I had my
0: leg amputated, I I had the advantage of, you know, being usually the tallest guy in the room and being able yeah, to- Yeah, I got say,
1: you were used to a stature that yes. then this just kind of, I mean, I can only, I can't even imagine. Yeah, now I pretty much deal with people at kind
0: of butt level, you know? I mean, that's <laughs> that, that, that's where that's where I hang out. You know, I, I see a different form of life and usually smell a different form of life. So, <laughs> you know, it's, but, but that's the thing, they, I, I think one of the things I've tried to do is keep my sense of humor. I remember when I had my, my, my foot amputated, I was, and, and I'm going to use this word, walking out of the hospital in this kind of boot contraption that was right. very obvious. I did not have a foot. Right. And there was a woman at the, at the exit, and she was staring incredibly hard, almost kind of inappropriately. You know, and I'm looking around like, is, is she staring at me? but I was the only one there. And so I, I'm walking towards her. And when I got up to her, I turned and I looked her right in the eye and I said, don't worry, it'll grow back. And I just kept walking, you know, and I turned around and looked over my shoulder and, and she had this look on her face like, is this guy like a salamander? Is he, you know, you cut off his tail. <laughs> it's gonna grow, is, it, is it really gonna grow back? You know, I mean, so you, you have to keep, I believe you have to keep your sense of humor. I mean, when I go for my treatment, I have all kinds of dad jokes that I bring for my nurses and stuff like that. That you know, I, I I want this to be as fun as ugliness can possibly be. And and so yeah, I think humor is incredibly important. I also think it, it's you you never realize in your life. And I'll, I'll give you another quick story. I, I had a nurse who was. Uh, when I first met her, she was a nurse. She's about 25 years old. She was already a nurse, but she was learning how to do things in the unit where I get treated. And about eight months later, she was taking care of me by herself. And she said, Terry, I've got this story I want to tell you, but I'm a little uncomfortable telling it to you. And, you know, I, I didn't really know how to respond to that. It was like, well, it sounds like it might be an interesting story. I hope you decide you want to tell me. So she's in and out for the next couple of hours. And then finally she comes in, she sits down on the bed. And she's like, all right, here's the story. When I first met you, I was going to get out of nursing. She said, I had a very good friend of mine that had died. I was in a really dark place. I talked to my mom and dad. I was going to quit nursing and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And she said, and then I met you. And I see all the ugliness, all the pain that you go through every day when you're here. And I went back in your chart and I read your story. And she said, after I finished reading your story, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Now, Dave, if she would have never shared that story with me, I would have had no idea that my life had had a positive impact on her. I always tell people, you know, I don't care how bad things are for you. I guarantee you there's somebody out there watching you, how you how you act, how you Mm -hmm. conduct yourself, what you do in your life that would give everything they have just to walk five minutes in your shoes.
1: I, I I totally understand it. I get it. I you know just because I have the scar down the middle of my chest doesn't mean that I don't wear a shirt you know that shows it. I have no problem with it. I know some people that hide it. They won't let anybody see it. Right. And I'm like, you know what? I call that my life scar. Without that, I wouldn't have life. Yeah, I mean, if you, you you're looking at me now, pretty much from chest, the
0: chest up. I mean, I have so many scars. You know, from my abdomen when I was on five years of interferon injections that are all scarred to my, you know, having my lymph nodes removed in my groin, that scar, my leg amputation scar. I've got a lot of scars, but I've earned those scars. Yeah. You know, for me, right. it's like they're, they're like medals or trophies. You know, like like you say, you, you see that scar every day. That's your life scar. That makes you the man you are. And the fact that you're still here, that reminds you of that every day. Same thing with me. You know, I am proud that I've gotten through this. And I'm sure you're proud that you've gotten
1: through your your heart surgery and your COPD and things like that. My brother went through his uh, about nine weeks before I did, and he didn't make a year after his. Um, And so we lost him to the same thing that, you know, I've now surpassed. But like you, with the cancer in your family, heart disease has been in. So my dad and my grandpa both passed from heart disease and my youngest brother. Um, you know, these are the things in life. You know, I was, uh, it's funny how life repeats itself sometimes. But uh, my next door neighbor this morning had trouble with his car. And on the way to uh, take him to get a, a part at 7 o'clock this morning, he says it's a great day. I'm like, we're taking you to get a part because you can't drive because you're an Uber driver. He goes, yeah, but we're both sitting here talking to each other. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's that communication. It's what we do. And I love the fact that your, your site is motivational check. We have to check in on that all the time. And we are the ones that have to motivate ourselves first.
0: We do. And and, you know, and what I always tell people is, yes, my site is called Motivational Check, but motivation is not enough. You know, it's, the way I talk about it is motivation is like light in the fuse. But if you don't have the discipline and the good habits that go with that, you can have all the motivation in the world. You're still not going probably to be successful, however you define that word, in your life. You know, it's sort of, I I think of it as sort of a three-legged stool. If you have motivation, discipline, and good habits, you can probably get to where you want to be in life. But if you're missing one of those things, Mm -hmm. then that stool is wobbly. That stool is not something that's gonna support a human being to sit on it. So you have to have the discipline, you have to have the good habits, and you have to have the motivation, I
1: believe, to get to where you want to be in life. You know, I, there there are so many things, Terry, that we could sit here and talk about. It's my head's just spinning and swimming. You know, it's like, uh, and, and folks, I got to tell you, you know, live here on the air. When you start a podcast, like most of us in the podcasting business, we we do some research. But what we do is we we find what what people want us to find. We don't always find all the story because we can't do all of that research. We just got too much going on. It's very interesting when you get into a podcast, what you start to learn, and then you go, wow. But that's what you're saying here, Terry, is we all have something to share, so share it. Absolutely. I, I mean, we are,
0: we have never been more connected with technology at, at any time in in our lives, and yet I feel we are less connected with each other on a on a personal level. Like I said, you know, we all have that story. We all have something in our lives that is worth sharing with other people to make their lives better. You know, hey, let me tell you what I've learned, and hopefully it'll make your life better. And and that's the way I do it. You know, I'm like I don't have all the answers. I don't ever purport to have all the answers, but I have some things that have worked for me that I'd like to share with other people in the hope that maybe they can take one or two bits of that and make their life a little better. If we all did that, think how great this world would be.
1: Folks, if you are watching our video, wherever you are, you can see the uh, email address for Terry right there at the bottom. If you want to go to his website, motivationalcheck.com, correct? Correct. Correct. Uh, any other things we want to let people know before we let you go, Terry? Look,
0: let, let me let me end with this. Um, I'm gonna tell you another nurse story. It's all I got, it's like nurse and basketball stories. That's all I, I mean, got. I, I'm know? gonna
1: say, I, I knew it was gonna be one or the other. I, I uh, the military, we've already, you know, we didn't talk yeah. too much about the military academy. <laughs> yeah, if, if, folks, if you didn't catch it, there was a military academy back in there. We're definitely not talking about Wendy's. Yeah, we're not, no,
0: this uh, I, I had a nurse who asked me what it was like to have my foot amputated and to have my leg amputated. And, and I've told her, I, it, it certainly has not been easy. I, I have, you know, I'm six foot eight. I have a prosthetic leg, but falling from my height could be detrimental. So <laughs> I, I am very careful on, on you know, I'm falling from six foot eight. yeah, yeah. You know, when you're three years old, you know, and you fall and you got your poopy diaper and, you know, that absorbs it. Yeah, you're having a good time. You know, it, it's great. But at my point, you know, it's it's difficult still. And and what I told her was, you know, cancer can take all my physical faculties. But cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart. And it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are, Dave. That's who everybody else who's listening to us is. We spend a lot of time on our physical appearance, you know, eating right, going to the gym, you know, not abusing things. And and I'm not telling you not to do that. Oh yeah. What I'd like to tell you is to spend a little bit more time working on the things that you really are, your heart, your mind, and your soul. If you do that, I think when you come to the end of the ride, you'll be a whole lot more fulfilled. You'll be a whole lot happier and you'll have a whole lot more peace in your heart.
1: Folks, if you want to hear more, if you want to get the book, if you want to find out all that stuff, go to motivationalcheck.com. I think you can get all of that. Terry, you've got a podcast as well? I do not. I am
0: I, I spend all my time being guests on everybody else's podcast because I'm terrible at editing. So I, I would be ter- I would I wouldn't okay. be good as a host.
1: So 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 folks, I'm sure that you can can find Terry out there. He's probably on somebody's podcast somewhere other than this one. But if you do like what you've heard today, please, as we said before, like and share, whether you're on the audio version or you're on the video, because this is the only way that we get this message across to people. We appreciate your time, Terry. I have two questions, though, before you go. I always ask of all my new guests. Sure. Where were you born? Chicago, Illinois. Okay. Uh, With all of the places you were, I'm like, I had no idea where it all started. All right. I've been all over the place, believe me. Well, hey, I don't want to talk about everywhere I've been. Uh, What they're trying to do is they're trying to tell me it's time to go home. It's after 5 o'clock. I understand. Hey, they're cutting off the electricity. I've been there. No, they just turned all the lights out. And so it's like, hey, here I am in the dark. Uh, So uh, the other question I have of you, Terry, is... On your personal bucket list for you personally, not family or business or anything, what is on your personal bucket list for this year?
0: I'm considering writing another book. Um, you know, Sustainable Excellence is a book about success. I would like to write another book that is also about a word that starts with S, and that's significance. Success is what we do for ourselves, significance is what we do for other people. I mean, don't get me wrong, I think you can be both successful and significant, but I think I'd like to write another book that begins, or that talks about being significant in other people's lives.
1: You know, what's interesting is everybody that I get on here that I talk to, it is very hard for them folks to 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 separate a business thing or something they do all the time and personal. It just is so hard to do. It is. It is. <laughs> because... This is what motivates us and keeps us going, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jerry, I,
1: I appreciate all your time. You are always welcome to come back on the show anytime. Just let me know when you want to come back on. We'd be glad to talk. Maybe we could actually talk about some of that negotiation stuff. I, I, that, I got a lot of good stuff around that. Yeah, i bet you do. Uh, you know, hey, congratulations on the daughter and, and uh, uh, you know, the Air Force Academy. That's pretty cool. Thank you. I, I, we, we're very fortunate. You know, my wife and I get a lot of credit for it, but we always
0: say, hey, she did all the heavy lifting. We just provided the support.
1: Folks, there's a reason I asked the two questions that I just did. We now know that Terry was born and he started life in, in Illinois. We know where some of his history is, not all of it yet. We might get some more of that later on. We don't know exactly where Terry's journey is going to end. But what I do want you to do, is make sure that whatever journey that you are on in life, make sure it is healthy, positive, and proactive. Until we see you again, be safe out there, folks.